I am so thankful for our worship team and our sound team. Can we just thank them this morning? They do such a great job every week. Um, we were, kind of today was the perfect storm. We had some that were away. Katie, our, our normal worship leader, was away out of town. We had some that weren't feeling well, and so and some that just uh, were out of town. So we were just really uh, skeleton crew this morning. And uh, Sam, that was leading this morning, got a call about 1.30 this morning that she had to leave. No, I'm just teasing. She got a call yesterday. And uh, didn't Sam do a great job? I'm very thankful for our worship team. First time, yeah. First time she ever led in worship, and she, she grew up in this church. We, we, I'm going to start crying. I don't know why. I'm going to start crying. We love, we love Sam and, and her ministry to the Lord. I, I'm just, you know what, um, today's a, a tough day. And, and here's the reason why it's tough. There's so many of you here today that um, you, in your past, in your life, you've just struggled with some really difficult things, whether it was abuse, whether it was a bad marriage, um, whether it was wrong choices. And as we dive into the truth of God's word, I, I want us to always remind ourselves as we deal with the truth, it's, it's going to be very countercultural to what we hear today. But I want you to understand this morning with whatever you're struggling with today, maybe it's your past, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's gender confusion. I don't know what it is, but I want you to know there's hope in the word of God, that, that God shows us who we are, that God created us. The reason why I want to go back to Genesis is because Genesis shows us the reason why God created us, the reason why we're in the mess we're in today, and how do we fix it. We need to go back to Genesis because we need to understand that God is our creator and that God is our designer and that God designed marriage and that the first marriage between Adam and Eve was a perfect marriage before God. There was a covenant that they made before each other and there was a covenant that they made before God and there was no shame in that relationship. The reason why we see so much hurt and pain and shame and guilt in our relationships today, the reason why we are so vulnerable and the reason why we get upset with each other, the reason why marriages get messy is because of the fall. And we're going to look at that today. And so how can we, even with the bad news of the fall and sin entering our world and that we're, we're all affected by that. With all that bad news, I want you to know that there is hope. And I believe the gospel message is the only message that the world needs today. You know, I've been listening to so many podcasts and so many books that I've read of gender confusion and marriages that have gone bad and people that are hurting and the church's response need not be point the finger in their face. The church's response has to be in truth and love and to help people understand who they are in God. I was listening to a podcast the other day of a, a gentleman, a young man who worked in Hollywood who struggled with his sexual identity and homosexuality since he was young. And he went to Hollywood to, to work at Netflix and, and work in the movie industry and um, he he wasn't he wasn't grew up as a Christian. He just but he knew something wasn't amiss. And he was actually at a coffee shop in Hollywood, and he saw a group of Christians um, doing a Bible study. So he was going to kind of harass him a little bit, or just ask him a question. So he goes, "Hey, what do you what do you what do you think about my lifestyle? What do you think about this?" And they sat him down, and they loved on him, and they showed him the truth of God's word. Now, he walked away and they told him the church that he went to. And he goes, yeah, I might come to church. I don't know. But he said, there was something that convicted my heart because of the truth and the love that they brought. So I did go to their church. 
And he goes, after I went to church, I went home and I began to read the word of God. I began to read through the book of Romans. And he goes, God convicted my heart. And it was that moment I dedicated my life to Jesus Christ. And he goes, I completely, my life was transformed. And he's just so bold in his witness. But he said, listen, he said, even though I struggle, I still struggle. I know that I have to submit ultimately to the lordship of Jesus Christ. He wrote a book and he says, listen, it doesn't matter whether you think it's environmental, the reason I'm this way, or, or whether, it's, you know, whether it's genetic or whether it's hormonal. He goes, we, we have to go back to the fall that we're all broken. And it's because of sin and the fall. So whether or not it's gender confusion or it's confusion in our marriage, we need to have a correct worldview and an understanding, a correct biblical worldview that we are in a mess and we can't fix ourselves. And if we back off as the church to the truth of God's word, then we're amiss with allowing people to receive Christ and understand he has uh, the word for them to transform their lives. If we just accept ourselves whatever sin may be and say that's okay, then we're not doing them justice by giving them the hope that ultimately comes through God's word. Now, is it going to be hard to live in our culture? Absolutely. But what I loved about this gentleman's testimony was this. He goes, I have such a greater joy than I ever had when I worked in Hollywood. He goes, Jesus has completed my life. He has radically transformed my life and I never want to go back. That's what happens when Jesus transforms us. That's the message we need. So we we have to be true to the word of God as hard as it is and how countercultural it is to the voices that we're hearing today. But then we have to walk in that love and understand that we all struggle. That we just can't point out one area of people's sin and say, look how bad that is. When we all struggle in our marriages, can I get an amen? Can we, just between you and us here this morning and everybody who's watched online, just us here this morning, right? Listen, we all struggle. We all struggle with selfishness. We all struggle with our own personal sins. Can I get an amen? amen? Good, you guys are with me this morning. So we need to look at the word of God and understand that we need to humble ourselves before God's word and allow that truth to saturate our hearts as we walk in love and as we deal with the world. Because I believe when we put the mirror on ourselves, listen, when we put the mirror on ourselves, And we realize that we don't have it all together like we think we do. It helps us to walk in humility as we deal with those who struggle with their issues in the world. And the gospel should humble every single one of us. And when the gospel message humbles us and God forgave us when we least deserved it, it's going to help us to deal with the world in a totally different manner and to help them see the love of Christ as we struggle with our own issues that no one has it all together. No one's perfect except for Jesus. And I'm so thankful for his patience and his grace in my life. So as we deal with the topic of, of marriage today, let's, let's first deal with ourselves and understand why there's brokenness and why there's hurt and, and how we can allow God to fix it. So we've been dealing with this main thought, this main theme as we've been addressing, going back to the basics and looking at a Christian worldview. We understand that our understanding of God shapes the way we view everything. Our view of God shapes the way we view, live, and relate to others in our world. Everything we believe about God shapes the way we live. It shapes the way we view and relate to others in the world. So what I want to do is I want to look at Genesis chapter 2, and I want to look at first God's design for marriage, when it was right, when it was correct, and then what happened after, what happened after the rebellion of Adam and Eve. So let's look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 18 through 24. So whether you've got your Bibles, 
you've got your phones, you've got your app, or you look up here at the screens. Let's, let's see what God's word is and is designed for marriage. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals of the birds in the sky and brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called them, each living creature, that was its name. That's a cat. That's a cat. I don't know why God made a cat. But anyway, that's a cat. That's a dog. I'm sorry, you can't love it. And so the man called him whatever he wanted to. So the man gave the name to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken it out of man and he brought her to the man and the man said this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and shall be called woman for she was taken out of man now look at the design for marriage that is why that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they became one flesh there was no sin there there was no vulnerability there there was no trust issue at this point See, marriage was God's ultimate design. We see the plan for, for God's marriage at the beginning with Adam and Eve. And so what makes you married? Well, we know the legal term for what makes you married. It's a public and permanent commitment. That's kind of the broad definition. But a biblical marriage is, is this permanent. It's permanent and it's, it's, it's exclusive where we share every part of our lives. It's a commitment that should never be entered into lightly. So we know that marriage isn't a part-time job. It's not partial commitment for for couples getting married here at, at Living Word, we give them an application to fill out because I want to know kind of where they're at, what their background is, if they've read any material on marriage or any books on marriage. And most couples, um, you know, they'll talk about their love and their commitment and how they met and, you know, it's like Pride and Prejudice. It was a, it was a moor with fog coming up and I saw them at the end and we ran towards each other and I'm like... <laughs> Give me a break, you know, you know. So, you know, so we, we think, well, that's marriage, that's love, that's, 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 that's commitment. It's all based on right feelings. But it's not necessarily a biblical one as, as nice as that is for movies. Most couples never read a book, um, never looked into gain more insight on marriage. And so basically, most of us enter into marriage blind and unprepared. Amen? Can we disagree agree with that? Most of us can relate to that. You can even ask my parents, those two crazy kids right out of high school, eloped without telling their parents. That's my parents. That's my parents. And they're going on 60 years of marriage. So this year, right? This year, 60. And they got married on, um, on D-Day, December 7th, Right? See, I'm good. what a good son I am. I even remember their anniversary day. And uh, my mom got a T-shirt at their 50th wedding anniversary that says the first 50 are the hardest. So if you ever need counseling, go to my parents. They're great counselors. No, I'm just teasing. They're, they're great. And so we, we, we go into marriage, right? We go in, we don't know what we're doing, and we have all these feelings and so on and so forth. So, you know, what we understand about couples is when they go into marriage, a lot of expectations there are. There's a lot of stuff they bring in from their past, that they saw in their parents. And trouble arises when our expectations are not, are not met and then there's this frustration. I thought you would do this. 
I thought you would be like this, right? Because when they're, when I'm counseling them, when they're in marriage classes, you know, they're holding hands, they're all googly-eyed, they're all like, I love you, and our love is just going to be the thing that's going to help us get through all our problems. It's going to cover. And then six months later, they're back in my office, and no, I'm just teasing. You know, they're like, what happened, right? What, what, what happened? Well, marriage happened, and these unmet expectations happen. See, the problem is we go into our marriage wanting the other person to meet my needs, whether we realize it or not. And so we start out with love and infatuation and attraction. After a while, couples can start to not like each other and they fall out of like. So let's understand the biblical definition of of marriage and why it's different from Genesis chapter 2. Because what I want you to notice is it's not based on my love, but based on God's love. And God's love is completely different, countercultural to what we see in our world today. God's love is sacrificial. God's love has to be the foundation of our marriage. So what we see in Genesis chapter 2 is this leaving and cleaving or leaving and uniting. The husband will leave his mother and father and will unite to his wife. The word unite there is crucial for us to understand. It's really a technical term that means to be bound to the other person, to be one where nothing comes between you. And, And what I tell couples and in counseling in premarital classes is do everything in your marriage that leads to oneness. Don't do things that are separate, you know, separate bank accounts, separate this, separate that, where we hide things from each other. That does not lead to oneness. And so what we understand is the husband left his parents' home and he united to his wife. Well, uh, my English Standard Version study notes say this about the marriage and after the husband left his mother and father. It's interesting. Let me tell you what the notes say. It says, In ancient Israel, sons did not move away when married, but lived near their parents and inherited their father's land. They left their parents uh, in, the, in, in the sense of putting their wife's welfare before that of their parents. So the relationship with the wife became paramount. That became the main focus. And so the biblical meaning of marriage is all about oneness, no secrets, becoming vulnerable with each other. And I think that's the hardest thing. And and I want to, as we get into Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see why is that so hard to walk in oneness and openness, and we're going to understand what happened after the fall. So we are leaving all others for our spouse. And so let me just give you this little caveat. Let Let me just sidetrack here. Couples. Married couples, the best thing you can give your children is this. Are you ready? Is a spouse-centered marriage, not a kid-centered marriage. It's good. Let me poke you. Just Can I poke you just a little bit here? Let me, let me poke the bear. Let me first say I love all of you. I love you. Everybody's kids are wonderful. Right? They're all wonderful. We are. All our kids are wonderful. We love to talk about our kids. We like to post on Facebook about our kids. All our kids are wonderful. They're wonderful. Okay? Here's the problem. In many marriages, what begins to happen is we focus so much on our kids that we lose sight of our spouse. And then when our kids grow up and leave the house, we wonder why there's so much issues and tensions within the marriage because we've spent the whole time focusing on our kids and not focusing on what was most important, and that's our marriage. Not that the kids aren't important, not that we want the best for our children, but I think what happens is we lose sight of our marriage through all that, and we all do it. It's easy to do. 
And the best thing you could do is focus on your marriage. Let your kids see that your marriage is first. I remember, I don't know which child it was, which son it was, but they got a little sassy with Kathleen. And I remember having this, this first conversation. I forgot who it was, but having that first conversation, like saying, listen, I know that's your mother, but she's my wife. And you'll never talk to her that way again. I want you, she is my wife. We had, we had established little boundaries there. I know it's your mom and she does, every, she does all these nice things for you and it's easy to get a little casual with your mom and you got a little snippy with her. But remember, she is my wife and you need to respect her. So we need to set up boundaries and we need to know that the marriage comes first before our children. See, what's interesting about marriage is it has a way of revealing our faults and our shortcomings, doesn't it? Because that person knows you better than anyone else. Our spouses see the good, the bad, and everything in between. And, that's, and that can be a good thing. And, and I want to show you just a couple things of what, what does marriage reveal. It does reveal a couple things. Marriage sanctifies us in that it reveals the things that are lacking in our life. As much as that hurts, but marriage, if we're open enough to talk about it, shows the things that we're lacking in our life. And marriage also reveals our selfishness and our need to be in control. So there's always that power struggle. Who is going to be in control? Who is going to get their way? So what is the reason... Boy, I got really quiet in here. So what is the reason... For our struggle in marriage, I'm going to give you the reason. The reason for our struggle in marriage is the fall. The reason for the struggle for our identity and who we are is because of the fall. Look what happened to Adam and Eve's relationship after the fall. When they rebelled against God's plan, there was a fracture in their relationship and their relationship with God. They had a covenantal relationship with one another and they had a covenantal relationship with God and that was fractured and that was broken. Before the fall, they were told that they were naked and they felt what? No shame. Now, I want us to move away from just the the physicality of that. There was something deeper going on. There was a trust. There was a vulnerability there. There was no shame. Genesis 2.25 says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They weren't vulnerable. They trusted each other. Now, after the fall, what happened? Well, they tried to cover their shame. They tried to do it themselves. In Genesis 3, 7, it says, at at that moment, when they rebelled against God, it says, at that moment, their eyes were open, but not in a good way. And suddenly, they felt the shame at their nakedness. And, And so they sewed fig leaves together to try to cover themselves. All of a sudden, now there's this vulnerability. Now they say to each other, Adam says to Eve, Eve, Eve says to Adam, I can't trust you now. And so what did they do? They hid. And so we feel and we know those effects from the garden today. The reason why we struggle in our marriage is a direct result of what happened in the garden. The reason why many struggle in their sexual identity is for direct result of what happened in the garden. And what happened to Adam and Eve's relationship is their identity and their security was now shattered. It was gone. And so now they tried to hide from God. They tried to hide from each other. They tried to clothe themselves with something that, was, that wasn't sufficient in God's eye. And so they looked at each other. They couldn't trust each other any longer. And they blamed someone else for their rebellion. Eve blamed the serpent. Adam blamed Eve. No one took responsibility for their actions, which brought in mistrust. 
So what sin does is sin causes them to become self-conscious of their body, self-conscious with God, and so that's why they hid from him. And so what did they try to do? Well, they tried to fix themselves. So they hid from God, they hid from each other through their insecurities. Just like, you know, remember when your children did something wrong and they, they, they hid somewhere, right? Remember when your kids, I remember one of our kids, I'm not going to name names, but one of our kids took a chocolate bar from his kindergarten's, kindergartner's desk, or his teacher's desk, and uh, kind of hid it in his pocket. And he came home and, and he went right up to his room. And Kathleen knew there was something wrong, right? She knew there was something wrong. So she goes, she goes up there and, and in the closet was the result of all the chocolate all over the face, right? <laughs> Hiding in the closet, eating all the chocolate. So we had a little talk with the teacher and it, all forgiveness and it was good, but it was, there was that hiding that guilt, right? When your dog does something wrong, remember your dog would do something wrong and, and, and you know they're hiding in the corner, like what did you do? And like our dog too, up the tail goes between the legs and they're hiding somewhere. That's exactly what happened in the garden. There was this... There was this shame. They hid from each other and from the Lord. So they sewed these fig leaves together. And, and God says, listen, that is not going to do. I'm going to give you something so much better. And so what he does is he provides for them these animal skins. And so why did he do that? Because God basically is saying to them, you cannot fix yourselves. You can't fix this problem through fig leaves. I'm going to have to fix it for you. And through God's mercy and grace, he provided for them something that they couldn't provide for themselves. And so what we see here in the garden is the first blood sacrifice, which would eventually be fulfilled in Christ Jesus, who gave his life for us, who covers us in his precious blood through his perfect sacrifice. I, you know, I always wondered what was the, the purpose, what, what's the meaning behind Clothes. What's the meaning behind clothing them? And and I love what John Piper, Pastor John Piper, gives some really interesting insight here. And there's two reasons. Uh, both are negative and positive for the reason for clothing. God covered them to remind them that they are now what they used to be. Innocence is lost. And so there's that there's that shame, there's that, there's that guilt that that had to be covered. So it's a reminder of their past of of what they did. But also there's, there's a positive reason for the, the clothing too. You see, they would have to live with the consequences of their sin. We all do. But God covering them would also give them hope, an ultimate hope for us here today too. God showed them that they can't fix themselves. Only God can do that. So what God does is God covers their shame through a sacrifice. God showed them mercy by providing for something, for them, something so much better. And, and, and we would ultimately see this fulfilled in Christ, in Christ Jesus. We are clothed in his righteousness, and our shame is covered and forgiven. And so God says, listen, I, you can't cover your shame on your own. There's going to have to be a penalty paid. There's going to be a, a sacrifice made for your sin, and I will do that for you. I will provide this covering for you. And ultimately, we find that covering in Christ Jesus that we are now clothed in him. So our clothing is a reminder of our past, of that brokenness and that rebellion against God, and also to our future hope that ultimately we are going to be redeemed in Christ for those who put their hope and their faith in Christ Jesus, that we will be with him healed and forgiven. And that gives us a lot of hope. So here's my question to you this morning. How can we grow in our marriages with all our faults, with all our shame, 
and still love each other? How, how do we do that? With, with the bad news of the fall, with my selfishness, with things I've done wrong in, in my past, how can we still love each other? How can, how can we develop our marriages that are God-centered? Now, once again, I understand there's some of you here today and you say, Pastor, my spouse and I aren't on the same page biblically. And, and I would tell you this, that the Bible tells us that you be the example. You be the example before them of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That the Word of God tells us that by your example, you will win them over. And, and I've, I've shared this story so many times. And I just love my mother-in-law that she prayed for her husband for 20 years, for Kathleen's dad, to come to Christ. And she prayed and she prayed and she just believed and she lived that example before him. And then a week before he passed away from cancer, he, um, he received Christ as, as his Lord and Savior. And I would tell you, you just pray and you live that example and you don't, you don't give up. Um, and, 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 and by no means, when I say um, about how to have a good marriage, some of you, we, it, it, within our church and our ministry here, we would never want someone to be hurt or abused in a relationship. And we've walked many people through those very difficult, difficult things. So I know there are some difficult things here and difficult things that you have gone through in your past and, and, and there's a lot of hurt and there's, there's a lot of pain. But what I want to see today is how can we have those marriages that are God-honoring, that we can offer forgiveness and that we can walk in the will of God. And so what we need to do is we have to rethink our marriages. We have to rethink the way we do marriage. And to do this, we must see our marriage as a covenant. We have to see it as a covenant. So what do I mean by this? Well, marriage is not a human invention. It's, it's God's design. A covenant is where I commit myself to the other person. So think about, go back, couples, when you were first married and you remember your vows. Remember your vows? Many times we take our vows and then the, the next day we totally forget our vows. So remember your vows. So let's go back because our vows are all about a commitment. It's speaking covenantal language to one another. The vows that you spoke to your spouse on your wedding day were the sign of a covenant that you're making with that person. Notice the language. I will never leave you or... Okay, four of you remember that. Okay, that's not good. No, I will never leave you or forsake you. In sickness and in... Okay, good, you guys remember it. Whether richer or for... All right. For better or for... Okay, did I say anything about love there? Did I say anything about ooey-gooey, infatuated feelings there? No. This is all a commitment. This is covenantal language. This is the language that Jesus speaks to us when he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. This is the language that God speaks to us in Romans 5, 8, where he says, for I demonstrate my love towards you that while you were still, Jesus died for you. See, notice the language. So you're giving everything to that person. This is different from the world's definition of commitment. See, the way we get it wrong is this. We measure our love from our spouse by how much we receive from them. See, that's conditional love. So if you're doing this for me and you're doing this for me, then I know that you love me. But covenantal love, listen, covenantal love doesn't measure love by how much we receive, but by how much we give. Let me say that again. This is good. Every single person should be writing this down. No, just memorize it. Get it in your brain. Covenantal love doesn't measure love by how much we receive, but by how much we give. So notice the wedding vows again. It has nothing to do with feelings. That is assumed. It has everything to do with commitment. 
So what we do is we promise to fulfill those vows even when we don't feel it. Right? Even when we don't feel it. True fulfillment in marriage comes from an understanding of what Christ did for us. That's the basis. Go back to Genesis again. God provided for their marriage something that they couldn't provide for themselves. God says, I'm going to clothe you with something better, a sacrifice. I'm going to clothe you to cover your shame so that there can become healing, that there can be forgiveness, and only I can do that for you. See, true fulfillment in marriage comes from an understanding of what Christ did for us. Jesus' love for us is not dependent on what we give to him or what he receives from us. It's found in his sacrificial love for us. And what we're going to see in just a minute is the Apostle Paul gives us an example of Christ's love for us. And he says that love should be the same as the husband displays to the wife. There was no other greater illustration that the Apostle Paul could give to us for an example of marriage than Jesus laying his life down for the church. It's amazing. It's amazing because that's the same type of covenantal sacrificial love that I want to see in your marriage. See, the vows are all about what you give, not what you receive from the other person. And so what Jesus does is he shows us how much he loves us by giving his life for us on the cross. And so what Paul does is he instructs the husbands on what love should look like in a marriage relationship. So we understand in Ephesians chapter 5, he tells the wife to come under the covering of the husband, to submit to the role, the leadership of the marriage. That's not an employee-employer relationship where you just tell that one person what they need to do. No, 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 no. There's a commitment there. There's a sacrifice that the husband is going to give to the wife. And then the wife naturally comes under the covering of the husband as they lead them spiritually. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. This is so good. I read this at every single marriage I do because it's so critical that we understand this. He says, for the husbands, here's what you're to do. So husbands, listen up. People that are looking to get married, listen up. This is good. This will save you hours of counseling with me in my office, okay? So let me read this to you. It says, for husbands, this means love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church. And how did Jesus love the church? By giving his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. You covering your wives with sacrificial love is doing exactly what God has called you to do and how Christ gave his life up for the body, for the church, to make her clean and holy. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. He uses the marriage as an illustration of our relationship with Christ. Notice Paul's comparison. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. See, Christ loved the church not just by saying it, but by giving his life for the church. This is a covenantal relationship. Now, if you think of your marriage in this way, it will radically change your marriage. Now, does this mean that you'll never have a disagreement? Or you'll never have an argument or you won't be selfish in some ways. If I'm recognizing what Christ did for me consistently, I will know when I'm wrong. 
And I'll be willing to be the first to admit when I'm wrong, to apologize, to bring healing into the relationship, not to allow bitterness to grow between your relationship with your spouse. When I walk in the gospel message and under the headship of Jesus Christ in my life, then I'm consistently laying my life down before the Lord that I don't deserve his forgiveness, but he gives it to me. And so when I understand that, then I am able to offer that forgiveness to my wife, to sacrifice for her, to cover her with the same love as Christ. And that is a huge commitment. But listen, this is the type of commitment that Jesus demands of us this covenantal commitment. Because the other way doesn't work. When I'm, when I'm walking in competition with my spouse and who has this and who doesn't and there's demands and there's fights and there's control issues, it just, how does that work out for everybody? It works out real good, doesn't it? It, it just doesn't work out. But when we humble each other, when we, we're humble before each other and we lift each other up and we pray for each other, we're allowing Christ to come into the relationship. Listen, we're going to be fighting the fall for the rest of our lives. I'm just telling you, we're going to be fighting because Paul says there's that flesh. There's this war going on with our flesh. We're going to constantly, so we have to, what do we have to do? We have to yield to the spirit of God consistently in our lives and who Christ is, or that flesh is going to rage its ugly head. And I'm going to revert back to selfishness and control and wanting my way. So realize you're going to be fighting that fall. And the way you fight that fall correctly is by submitting to the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and allowing Christ to deal with your faults. I believe when we do that, we'll look at our world in a totally different way. When we walk in humility before the, before the cross, then I can look at the world and I can say, you know what? I can love them with the truth of God because I know God's still dealing with me. And so realize that if we're going to walk in our world correctly, then we've got to walk with the truth of God's word, but we also have to walk in love knowing that God is still working on us. Amen? And you know what? God is still working on your spouse. Still working on him. Still working on him. We need to give a lot of grace because God poured out his grace on us. I'm thankful for Jesus' grace in my life. He should have killed me a long time ago. <laughs> should have wiped me off the earth a long time ago, but I'm thankful that he's patient with us and that he's wanting us to come before him in repentance, knowing when we walk in a wayward way that he can forgive us and heal us. And we need that in our marriages today. And so what I want to do is there's a couple of things. I want to pray for those of you that are, that are just struggling in your marriages today. Uh, I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for some of you maybe here today or watching online that are just struggling with your life and your identity. I want to pray for you today that God's design that we see in the garden was broken, was fractured because of our sin. And God says, I want you to find your identity now in Christ Jesus. He covers you. He will cover you. He will cover your marriage. We need to come to Christ and allow him to fix us and find our ultimate identity in him. And go back to God's original design. That which was broken in the garden is now fixed through Christ Jesus. 
And so now we are clothed with him and we have a future hope that we will be with Christ. That he takes our brokenness and our sin and he forgives it and he covers it through his precious blood. We need to apply that to our personal lives. We need to apply that to our marriages. We need to apply that to the way we deal with our world and how countercultural that our message is to the world. But we've got to love and we've got to receive people with that love and truth. We need to apply Christ's love to our hearts and our lives first. So I'm going to give you a little homework. And this, this little homework I want to give to, 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 the, spout, to, to the married couples here today. Um, I want you to ask yourself this question. How are you causing your spouse to grow? How are you causing your spouse to grow in Christ? What are you actually doing to cause them to grow? Maybe forgiveness needs to be addressed. Maybe you you need to say, you know, honey, I need to pray with you more because I know that's important that we pray together as a couple. What are you doing to cause your spouse to grow? Maybe for for the wife, it's encouraging um, your husband and encouraging them in the Lord. What what are you what are you doing to cause not you know couples? Let's not nag each other. That's not that's not the reason for this. Okay, let's not nag each other. Let's encourage each other in the Lord. Let's do everything that leads to unity. Listen, when your marriage is in unity, it's a powerful thing. I believe that when marriages are unified, it strengthens the church as a whole. God wants everything for you and your spouse to come in agreement together to leave no foothold, no open door for the enemy to come in. And we humble our, when we humble ourselves before the cross of Jesus Christ, we allow Jesus to be glorified in our life and our relationship and ultimately the church. Amen? So, We've got a lot of work to do, but I'm thankful for the grace of Jesus that helps us. So thank you for allowing me to prod you today, to provoke you, because I need to hear this message too, amen? We all, we all need it. We're all work in progress. So I'm thankful for the grace of God. So let me pray for you. Would you bow your hearts with me? And let me just pray for you today and ask God to help you with whatever thing you're faced with today or whatever struggle may be in your life today. So Father God, we just come before you today and Lord, I thank you that you have the answers for us in marriage, but that doesn't mean that there's an easy one, two, three fix. Lord, we we need to humble ourselves before you, dear Jesus. We need forgiveness of our hearts. Lord, I just pray for those that are struggling today, maybe maybe in a marriage where one of the the spouses is, is not a believer. I just pray, Lord, that you would encourage them, give them grace. Let them be the example of, of who you are. Lord, I, I pray for marriages, whether they've been married a year or, or 50 years, Lord, I pray that you would always guard our hearts from selfishness, and a power struggle, that we would humble ourselves before the foot of the cross, that we would be the first to forgive so that nothing would separate us, that we would do everything that leads to unity so that our marriage would be strengthened in Christ Jesus. I pray for those who have been hurt in their past, whether it's through abuse through the, through the hurt of a, of a divorce, I pray for your healing. I thank you that in Christ Jesus we are covered with his righteousness and we're made new and we're, we're new creations in Christ Jesus. So I, I pray for those that are struggling with that in their past and maybe just bitterness and hurt. I thank you, Jesus, that you can cover us even in that and you can heal 
all those secret scars that are in our hearts. So I thank you, God, for giving us the answer through your word. Now help us live it out in our world today. Strengthen us first. Renew us first as we walk in our world, as we, as we walk with those who may, that don't see eye to eye or different from us. Give us grace to deal with our world with the truth of your word. We love you and we thank you for your word today. I thank you for our church. I pray that you would unify us through the precious blood of Christ, that nothing would separate us, that we would stay true to your gospel message and we would never divert from that. So I thank you for our church, Lord. We love you, we thank you, and we just want to be careful to ask all these things in Jesus' precious name, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Can we just thank the Lord this morning and just thank him and be worthy of it this morning, amen. Amen.